We are live. <laughs> What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Police Off the Cuff After Hours. My name is Mark DeMeo. I'm your host. My co-host is Bill Cannon, my partner in all things law enforcement. What's up, buddy? Everything's going wrong, man, but I'm gonna I'm gonna push on through it. I'm gonna, you know, what do they say? Soldier on. I'm gonna soldier on. My mouse stopped working, my keyboard stopped working. So I'm gonna just uh, do the best I can. I wish the ESU guy here was in my room. He could help me fix some of this shit. Uh, computer stuff isn't my game. <laughs> you look great, man. I love that sweatshirt. We're gonna talk about it in a minute. Uh, but before we do, I want to welcome our guest. Uh, we're very excited to have him. He's a retired NYPD sergeant. He worked in ESU unit. Um, he was involved in a lot of high-profile rescues, and he's here to tell us all about him. What's up, Anthony Lissy? How are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. What do you it. think of that flyer right there on the screen? Look at that, man. That was yeah, nice. Man, <laughs> up his game, he's, man. You know, he's going to blow that up and put it on his wall with all this other ESU shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures of you and he, man, you were a big dude. Were you a power lifter or a bodybuilder? What were you? Uh, yeah, I used to lift. I used to lift a lot until I got old. Now I can't lift as much anymore, really. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you, you peak. What were you? How yeah. tall are you? How tall are you? Uh, almost six foot. And how much did you weigh? Like, you're you big. In I was about 230. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. 20 yeah. inch arms? Uh, they were big at one time. They were very big. You know what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. what? When the public needs help, they call the police. <laughs> when the police need help, they call ESU. When you call when you call a ten thirteen, who do you you want to see a nice big guy showing up, pushing everybody out of the way? So when guy with twenty two inch arms, you know, that can move buildings and shit, you know? When he can work that Halligan tool, that Hearst tool. Look at you. <laughs> I knew all the ESU terminology from Billy Bernard. I took out my Hearst tool. He loved to take out he loved to pick locks. He pulled out his little lock picking shit. You know, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> that's not easy to do either. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's not. Yeah, you guys get a lot of fancy toys, man. You get a lot. You know, the, the truck is really interesting. I, I yeah. remember, you know, being in uniform and whenever. And I worked. Well, actually, when I was in the 2-6, I worked in the squad. And ESU is right there in the 2-6. Uh, and I spent a lot. One of the guys that worked in the, uh, ESU. He was on the boxing team, and I was friends with him. And I, I used to just go in there and look at the truck, man. It was just fascinating. It's it's like a fire truck. I, I think it actually has more stuff on there, though, right? It's like the war wagon. I mean, there's everything on there from rescue stuff to tactical stuff. We have an armory in there that just has, ev let's just say, everything you're going to need when the world is coming to an end. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? That's inside? You got That's what you said inside, yeah? Yeah, right in the back, there's uh, there's a whole armory in there. You know, we just Mark in the in the chat. We just had a street crime legend besides Lieutenant Pranzo grab us, uh, Deputy Inspector Dick Savage. I know, I saw that name. Well, I've asked to come on the show, but he's I heard he's sort of shy. You know. <laughs> Thanks for uh, tuning in, Dick. Yeah, I, I I saw the name there right now. I was in shock. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that is truly amazing. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Oh, before Bill, before we start, I just want to say um, thank you so much to everybody who came out last night. I recorded my album. The, uh, the tentative title is The Bangers. It was a lot of jokes that I've been doing it for years, and I just wanted to get them all in one place, uh, one album. And um, it's it's 800-pound uh, gorilla signed me, and that's, a, that's a, a record company. And we did it with uh, Laugh Button. Uh, 
the recording will probably the the actual CD will probably be. I mean, not the CD. I don't even. I'm old. I don't even. You'll be able to find it on iTunes. You'll be able to um, Apple iTunes. You'll be able to find it on Spotify. It'll be streaming in your car when you're driving. Um, uh, through Sirius XM, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get away from me. That's the point. But it should drop <laughs> in in July. I think the turnaround is sixty days. And a lot of people that tune into the show, uh, a lot of retired members of the service came out last night, and uh, it really meant a lot to me. So if you were there, thank you so much. Um, I'll never ever forget it, and I'm always in your corner. I'm a loyal guy. Mark, you were great. I was there last night for the first show, and I'll testify that you were great, although I knew most of your jokes. I still laughed at them. You know who else is here? ESU legend Rick Martinez. Oh, there he goes. Rick. Yep. Yeah. He took it around the block. <laughs> for the Larry Davis case, man. He, he's yep. famous for that. Famous, right? Yeah, he's famous for a lot of a lot of big jobs. Unbelievable, man! I love you ESU guys because you ESU guys are such buffs, man. Talk about I used to call ESU guys firemen with guns. (laughs) But you guys hate that, though. Yeah, Yeah, besides firemen called us that too. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about what it takes to get into ESU for the for because we have a lot of people, civilians that watch. First of all, ESU is our emergency service unit. Better, you know, uh, other like for I know for a fact in California, everywhere else in the country, they seem to call it SWAT. Yeah, they don't call it SWAT here because it's not tactics. That's what SWAT stands for. But over here, for some reason in New York, we call it ESU. And um, like I mentioned about the truck, how exciting it is to look at it, and there's just so many things on there. So I imagine that you know, if you're a young cop, you probably buff out, and the one place that you want to go. And use all the toys is ESU, but how do you even get there? It's it's not always easy, especially these days. There's a whole uh, uh, facility. There's uh, there's so many things that you have to do just to be accepted into specialized training school. And then the specialized training schools, uh, you know, about seven months long now. I mean, all the things that you have to learn. You're talking about a month of just tactics and weapons, a whole another month of ropes and specialized, uh, you know, trench rescue. Then there's scuba diving. There's hazmat. You're you're trained in literally everything. But to get there, if if you're the regular cop on patrol, you have to have a good sick record, a really good arrest record. You know, if you have some medals, it shows that, you know, you're a go-getter and you want to do the job. And uh, you're working hard, you know, and and people will recognize that. You know, Anthony, I could have done all the training Except going up on that bridge, I would have been like, uh, no, You know, I ran the, I ran the bridge training for about eight years, the Verrazano Bridge Training. We have a whole uh, a program that we teach other ESU cops exactly how to tie in properly. Right, so you, you know, got to climb to the top of it and like look across. Yeah, the city, right. It's great though. I'm telling you, you get a nice Sunday morning up there. It's just, wow. I've taken a lot of people up there, and and they just are in awe every time. It's you know. pretty scary though, looking down, right? Well, it could be. Well, we're tied in. Everything is safe. You know. It's, yeah. It's people don't realize how safe it is. Actually, I don't is know. If part of also training, is that part of the training not to look down? <laughs> you want to know something? Going up isn't as bad. It's when you're coming down because you're on a like pretty much a forty-five degree angle down, yeah. and then you're staring at the water the whole time. People have trouble coming down. Believe it or not. Wow, that's yeah, it. But that's interesting. Sorry, yeah, right. there's an elevator in each tower of the Verrazano. It actually is an elevator. So there's four elevators on the Verrazano. That goes down to the water, the road level, and then 
almost to the top, but not fully. And uh, I would imagine that uh, once you get into ESU, there's a lot of training that's continuous. Like I know you have to go, like Bill mentioned, climb up the uh, the Verrazano Bridge. But how often yeah. are you ever going to do that again unless it's on a job? Do you have to train like do you get Yeah, that? we do. We do. We used to do it uh, at least twice a year and take sometimes up to 50 emergency cops up all the way to the top, show them how to get up and down. And then we would run a scenario on the roadway of, uh, you know, a possible jumper out past the roadway on the on the fingers of the bridge that over the water. And we'd have a guy stand out there, one of the other ESU cops, and we'd have two newer guys usually go out and make their way to him just to learn how to do it and tie in properly so that you're safe. So if you fall, you only fall about five feet and it's not that bad. Uh, Anthony, could you maybe take the entire New York City Council up there without the traps? <laughs> I can tell you, they won't, they won't be coming down the right way. <laughs> Show them what it's like to be an ESU cop, you know? <laughs> yeah, they don't understand what it's like to be a cop, period. I know, it's amazing. <laughs> so you were on some amazing uh, rescues, too. I mean, uh, I, have your, uh, I have your little curriculum vitae, I think they call it in college, right? <laughs> but what do they call it in the police department? Yeah. They call it, this is my resume. I, I just slap in a video and, you know, people are crying. Yeah. Again, you know? uh, what about the water rescue of the 400-pound man in Staten Island? Tell us about that one. Yeah, the uh, EDP uh, got out of one of the homes over there, one of the, uh, uh, the homes where they just keep an eye on them, basically. He was able to walk right out of the building. He walked into the water. He went about 40, 50 feet out and tried uh -huh. to drown himself just by by sinking to the bottom. He just kept on trying to sink to the bottom. So we get there. We run into the water. Uh, right before we run into the water, I go, where is he? I can't see him because he kept on bobbing below the water. And as you would come up there, like, believe me, you'll recognize him when you get out there. And this guy was just tremendous, 450 pounds. He looked exactly like the guy from the Green Mile. Black guy, black guy, bald hair with the overalls with one flap down. I swear it was unbelievable. And we swam out to him and uh, we grabbed him and, you know, pulled him back into shore. And how, how many he, guys go out there to grab him? Uh, it was me and uh, one of my, one of my cops. Two guys. Yeah. And, they, and you gotta be careful. Cause if it's 400 pound guy grabs onto you, I don't care what you're wearing. You're going down to the bottom. So you have to approach this guy kind of carefully, you know? And then the riptides and stuff like that in the oh, water. Yeah. It wasn't easy pulling him in. He, he weighed, it felt like he weighed a thousand pounds, you know, trying to wow. yank this guy in. Was he happy that you saved his life? I mean, he was trying to kill himself. Uh, he wasn't all there. He wasn't, he wasn't all there. So uh, he wasn't very happy that we stopped him, but he wasn't upset about it either. You know, he was, he was slow. He was yeah, a slow yeah. adult. So <laughs> he really didn't have much to say. Did it, why was it you and your partner that got sent out? Was it because you're the biggest guys well, or because it no. was your turn or? No, you know what it is? It's the guy in the passenger seat of the vehicle. I was in the big truck and I had a chauffeur. And then there was a little Adam car with a driver and a, and a recorder. And the recorder starts putting on his suit even before he gets there, his dry suit, taking off his gun belt and tucking his pants into his socks so you could put on your dry suit. So I was the guy in the recording spot and Ralph was the other guy in the other car in the recording spot. And we're such type A personalities, even though I'm the sergeant, I was a cop in ESU also. So we're running on the beach as fast as we can. We're trying to beat each other into the water, basically, you know. And my my cop was running full out speed. He wasn't going to let the sergeant hit the water first, and he dove in right in front of me. What was this? Yeah. What year was this? 
Oh man, I want to say it was somewhere Let's around say, 2012. If it's in the middle of the winter, is there a special suit that you got to put on because that water is obviously freezing? Yeah, we all have we have so much personal gear that's given to us. Actually, we all have our own dry suits. Uh, complete, you're completely dry on the inside. Uh -huh. uh, so uh, it was the summer, though. So uh, you kind of get... like when Schwarzenegger in that mo movie took off the wetsuit and he had a full yeah. tuxedo, perfect. Yeah, something... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it was just like that. Because in case you have to go out after work, you know, you have that tuxedo on, you know. Yeah, <laughs> just in case. You never know. You never know. But yeah, so uh, you're completely you know, dry. You know, your um, your cousin Joe Lisi, the, the the fantastic captain and actor. Look at this. He's having a police off the cuff night. There at he is. Bar restaurant on uh, Tuesday, May eighteenth, and Mark and I are going to be there, shaking hands, kissing babies, just just like. You know, saying we are not worthy when we see an ESU cop come in. <laughs> you know, it's going to be amazing. So anyone that they got great piece there. Tuesday the 18th at 1900 hours, and anyone that comes in and says they're there for police off the cuff, Joe Lisi will give you 15% off your pizza. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good pizza, too. <laughs> it is good pizza. Yeah, I'm excited, yeah. man. That's going to be a good night, a good night out. Yeah. Uh, so come down, Bardot in New York City. If you're if you're anywhere local, come down. We're, we're, uh, we're like you said. We're gonna be hanging out. We're gonna be it's hanging a nice out. little joint. I wonder, back. Mark, I wonder if these four guys will show up. It's like a calendar, man. <laughs> All these hot chicks will see this ESU posted. They'll be like, "I'm going to Bordeaux, man. These ESU guys are showing up." Uh, that was from the water rescue. I think that they we took the picture for the paper. Oh, really? Yeah. You guys always cool. have a camera ready. You never met a camera you didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Uh, can I ask you a question? Do you ever take the uh, the ESU truck out and like drive it into the city and like just park on um, McDougal and and Bleecker and just uh, stand in front of your truck and, and and get all the accolades that the uh, fire department gets when they do that? <laughs> I know the guys in truck one must do that often, but uh, us guys that work in Brooklyn and Staten Island, don't they call truck one the Hollywood truck? Right? It's the Hollywood truck. The way that you guys yeah. are standing in front of that truck. Is the way they take they take the fire truck and they put it right there on Bleecker and McDougal and they all stand yep. in front of it like this, yeah. And they take pictures and they collect phone numbers from really pretty girls from all over. Yeah, the it's a lot easier for firemen though. <laughs> yeah, but Mark, you know what the ESU guys do? They have the curl bar and they do yeah. a few reps before they go up on the bridge. So they're well, like, what, you know, they like when we're doing the Hercules team and you're standing out there with your heavy vest and the machine guns. They they like that stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Not as much as firemen, but they like it. Well, it's, well, it's about hey, Mark, Mark, look at this, man. He's got the combat cross. You know, <laughs> well, you know, if I had that, I'd, I'd wear that out to bars to drink a PA, you know? <laughs> no, he, he spoke about medals earlier. So tell us a little bit about how you got the combat cross. Oh, well, it was, uh, I want to say it was like 2015 or 2016. And uh, it was early morning. I'm, I'm, I was, uh, for the last four years of my career, I was a citywide supervisor. So on the late tour. So I covered Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. I had a unmarked car. And so our job was to do a lot of the hits, a lot of the search warrants, early morning search warrants. And we were lining up in Coney Island to do this search warrant, all the vehicles in a row. And we hear them screaming at Staten Island there's a, uh, that there's a guy barricaded with a firearm. He's shooting out the window and he started a fire and they called the fire department. And one of the firemen tried to go into the building and got shot. Oh, uh, that was the fire. That fire lieutenant got hit. It was like right in his hip and it came out one of his, uh, his ass cheeks, actually. And um, once we heard that, the entire caravan 
we canceled the warrant and just went right over the bridge. And this guy was barricaded in the basement for about six hours. But as soon as we get there, this guy's shooting out the basement, out the basement windows at us. He just kept on firing. And uh, we couldn't see him at all. We couldn't return fire. We, we couldn't see him in the basement. And uh, I tell you what, it was, it was some scene. It was, it was crazy. So Taru gets there. And they come up with this phone. With this phone, they go, "You want to see what the guy looks like inside the house?" This guy had a camera inside of his house. I don't know what they tell me. Drug dealers do this. I didn't even know that. But he had a camera inside of his house, and Taru tapped into it. And we thought the guy had a handgun inside, or maybe a shotgun. He's got an AK-47 and a bulletproof vest on. I thought I was watching a movie. <laughs> He's walking back and forth. So it was crazy. Throughout about six hours, he fired at us numerous times, and we had all armored vehicles there and so on. But after he spoke to his mother on the phone. He came running out of his basement, firing his weapon at us. He hit the uh, the armored Bearcat, armored vehicle I was uh, taking cover behind. And uh, there was about six of us, uh, six or seven of us, just obliterated him pretty much as he came running out shooting. I think it was suicide by cop, but he was really trying to take a bunch of us with us with him. Wow. You know? Yeah, it was, it was like some story. The guys you know? did a fantastic. The guys did a fantastic job. I have to say, you've never seen professionalism like you had uh, when you see an ESU cop on a real serious job like that. Unbelievable. The joking stops. Everybody is at, you know, the top of their game. And you guys rushed to that job for a fireman, so it shows you the rivalry <laughs> end. The rivalry well, end when life and death are involved, right? I won't say we got there for a fireman, but it was the uh, the uh, NYPD cops calling a 1013 that got our attention. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good job. The guys did a – it was unbelievable. A lot of shots fired, and I didn't – not a single ESU cop got hurt. It was uh, the best it could have turned out for us. Fantastic, man. You all – you guys do, always do a great job. I mean, we always Thank know you. that when we call ESU that, uh, you know, we got, we got the very best. And you guys aren't California, man. You're ESU. You're not SWAT. I always tell that people <laughs> – is that SWAT? I go, no, that's ESU. Don't ever call them SWAT. <laughs> well, we do a lot more than just SWAT work. So that's why. Right, right. And such a liberal city doesn't like the word SWAT very much. So ESU encompassed everything that we do. You know, it's not just tactical work, which is why I love the unit so much. It was, it was You got to do everything. Rescue stuff. You got to do tactical work, scuba diving, everything. It encompassed everything, you know, that you could want, for me at least. <laughs> Yeah, you also put yourself at risk a lot too. Yeah, we do, but it's it's uh it's the kind of risk where you know you have the right gear, you have the right training, you know, it diminishes it just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, Paul Zito, I had him on the show a couple of weeks uh -huh. ago while you, you? Were, while Bill was away. Yeah, and he, you know, he was a canine a detective, and he yeah. Made, uh, he said to me, "I did a water rescue. My partner and I at the at the time in the six two responded to a car that crashed through a fence. Oh yeah, yeah. parkway, and then went into the water. Yep. And Anthony responded, and him and his crew dropped the rope line in to help get the woman out. And uh, yep. he actually sent me a picture. I can't show the picture because uh, it's on my thing. But uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the car flip, uh, from the Bell Parkway started flipping and went right into the water. It's crazy. I, I, I reached out to Paul because uh, I know that he he mentioned the story about how he he was stuck in his house during Hurricane Sandy, and I read yeah. I read about you and uh, a lot of the rescues that you did uh, during Hurricane Sandy. So I thought maybe 
you might have been one of the people that responded to him and, and got him out of the house with his wife, his child, and then he went back to get his dog, the canine. Well, I'll tell you what that that was one of the that was one of those nights where you thought you were going to die. That was one hundred percent because that water came up so fast. I mean, you saw those um, those containers, those big uh, containers floating down the street. Those things weigh you know a couple of tons, and they're just floating down the street. It, it was unbelievable. But anyway, after that first night, after I got dry, uh, I wound up just uh, mad. I'm wound up managing most of the cops going out there. And there was 10, 13 all night. You had cops on their roofs in Staten Island shooting their gun in the air to get attention, you know, because the water was rising and they had their families on the roof with them. It was, it was absolutely crazy. So my job was to coordinate everybody, uh, all the cops, ESU cops that live in Staten Island, couldn't get over the bridge, came to my truck and truck five in Staten Island. We gave them equipment and vehicles and sent them out in boats. And they did that for ooh, how many days? A long time. Wow. <laughs> they did fantastic think, work. I don't think anybody really, I mean, unless you lived on the shore, because I, I lived in the city my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I remember Hurricane Sandy. And, but when you lived inland, it's a little different, man. When you were on the shore, man, nobody really had that, uh, that effect unless you lived on the shore. It happened in Long Island, parts of Long Island. Yeah. But in Staten Island, man. Staten Island got slammed. It sounds slammed. so scary, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I tell you what, it, like I said, I, I was walking towards the water, and before I knew it, the water just rose up on us. I mean, and you want to talk about almost dying. You've got manhole covers in the middle of the street that you can't see, and the the tops have popped off. So if you're not watching, you, you have to walk with a stick or a pole, because if you don't see that hole and you drop in, that's it. It's over. Bad news. That's you know, Walter <laughs> Waz, uh, who runs the Medal of Valor, said yep. he just showed up. Sandra Rivera, MC's Audio, Peter Lavin, Carmen Frickalsh. She's from Toronto. Look at that. We got people from wow. Toronto coming to see us. The Pranzos, of course. Sergeant Melinda, a big fan of ours. Lieutenant uh, Pranzo and his wife, Marcella and uh, Rochella. I'm sorry, Rochella. Why the hell do I say Marcella? Black Rose. Uh, Walter Waz, I mentioned before. Carol loving Alaska. We got people here from Alaska. They don't have ESU in Alaska. Wow. They'd be breaking into so. <laughs> frozen people. I think, you know? I think all their cops are ESU cops over there. Yeah. yeah. How, do you get, how do you gain entry to an igloo? <laughs> oh my God. Black Rose 11, uh, boxing MMA. All you great people coming into uh, onto this site. Mark, I think we got to go quickly to a commercial. Um, First one, if you don't mind, or you want to right, do go, uh, listen up, guys and gals. We are sponsored by the best hot sauce in the world. Silk City hot sauce is made in small batches using pure ingredients. Locally grown peppers are the foundation of every bottle of Silk City hot sauce. There are several flavors from mild to wild, and you got to see the label. Each sauce features awesome original artwork. Uh, check out Bobby's Bakes Chipotle, Ashbrook Attack, Badass Juice, Slurp Mango. Uh, madness, climate change, maple dragon. I use it every day. Um, and it spices up my food and it's healthy. And uh, if you want to get some, go to silkcityhotsauce.com and you put in a coupon code. It's called uh, OTC, OTC for off the cuff. Uh, put that into uh, silkcityhotsauce.com and get your 15% discount. Trust me. You'll love it. I know a lot of people from watching the show have, have gotten it already. I'm curious to hear your responses. Uh, I know I use it every day. I use Bill's. 
<laughs> you guys getting tired of New York City or the New York area, the high taxes? They're just going up with the Cuomo's in power. Carol Waters is a realtor. Uh, Beach Realty Group has been buying and selling property in the Myrtle Beach area for 11 years now. Carol and her husband, Rob Mayne, who's a retire, retired FDNY firefighter, as well as an NYPD rollover. They work as a team and a multi-million dollar producer for the past 10 years. They have great knowledge of all aspects of the real estate industry, and Carol's a well-known around the Irish community in New York. She worked in Fitzpatrick's Manhattan Hotel for over 20 years behind the stick. Originally born in the Bronx and brought up in County Mayo, Ireland, contact Carol Waters for all your real estate needs in the Myrtle Beach area. Carol Waters, sells MB at gmail.com, 914-261-6681. The next one, I just want to do a quick one. Uh, this is very close to our heart. And these sweatshirts you can buy. Carol Caccavelli, who lost her father when she was like six weeks old. I don't think she ever really knew her father. They, I'm wearing one of the sweatshirts now. But all the money goes either to the Brian uh, Simonson Fund, the uh, DEA Widows and Orphans Fund, uh, or the Blue Lives Matter Canine Fund. So you can get the Memorial Sweatshirt. That's the address at the top of the screen. You, you can get one. Just order it from that address there. And uh, as I said, Carol Caccavelli, that's um, Brian Simonson's widow there too. And uh, it's all the money is, is donated for a great cause. So I'd appreciate all you guys that are police off the cuff fans. Order yourself a sweatshirt. Yeah, you look good, Bill. The, the sweatshirt is really sharp. Yeah, no, it is, it's really cool. It says Valley, you know, and there was a little um, controversy over this because she had her kids wearing it to school and some woke individual objected to the kids wearing these NYPD sweatshirts to school. The wokeness is outrageous. But the woke person who was the school superintendent didn't realize she was dealing with Carl Cacavelli, who fought back like <laughs> yeah, an yeah, ESU yeah. truck, you know? <laughs> so uh, like, uh, I think the uh, school superintendent... Um, regretted the day she uh, tangled with her. You like know? Somebody, somebody who's born and bred in the Bronx. You That's know, right. uh, you have a friend and he's looking for uh, to move. He's looking to relocate from Jersey to South Carolina. So I turned him on to Carol Waters today, as a matter of fact. I send him Excellent. the flyer. And um, hopefully she, you'll be hearing from him, Carol. Uh, his name is James. Uh, he, he's actually a book. He books comedy shows in Jersey and the Pennsylvania, and I've been working with him for years, so I'm hooking them up. So, so far, they can use hot sauce while wearing this sweatshirt, <laughs> right? While going to Jolie's. cops are going to show up, you know? Yeah. We got to say we got to say that to forget Joe. It. Joe, this is, the, forget it. This is, you got to make like a fireman calendar, you know? What a motley crew. <laughs> <laughs> Not for nothing, man. But uh, that's—I remember—that's how they used to recruit the task force back in the day. When I used to stand roll call, everybody was uh, six feet or better. Who was a yeah. powerlifter? Who was a martial artist? Bodybuilder? All you name it, man. Everybody. And then he had a couple of really out of shape people too. Just you know, sprinkle it up a little bit. But <laughs> I tell you what, the 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 ESU guys have gotten in uh, these last couple of classes much better shape now. When they go to the specialized training school, they have them running around Floyd Bennett Field. I mean, these guys are coming out of the ESU school just in great shape. I mean, it's amazing. They're doing a good job, really. That's are. good. It's good. They should. Yeah. Great. It's better for the job. You know what I'm saying? And like yeah. you, 
mentioned uh, earlier, you said the Hercules. Tell us about what that means, the Hercules team. Or Well, the Hercules team started after 9-11, and I believe the idea came from uh, Israel, actually. And what we would do is at the start of a, uh, of a tour, you would uh, have a team, a sergeant, and four of the cops, full battle regalia, helmet, vest, machine guns, extra magazines. I mean, you were loaded for bear. And you'd get a list from Intel of locations you had to visit in Manhattan for a certain amount of time. And uh, I don't want to say how long, but you would stop at these locations and literally was a show of force. So if anybody was watching the place, like let's say the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, if somebody's watching it, they don't and they see us come by. They don't know when we're coming or when we're going. They have no idea. So it keeps them on their toes. And and it's it so far, it seems like it's it's worked. But because we're already geared up and ready to go in Manhattan, we sometimes run into a lot of uh, a lot of things, you know. But it's it's a great idea. It's in the summertime. It could be. What's that like wearing all that stuff in the summer? Because I remember oh. in the, in the, just as a patrol cop, or whenever I had to put the, throw the bag on. Yeah. Um, I I remember that vest, man. And open, sometimes oh. in the summer, you take you you pull it open like this, and you can see you the let the heat out <laughs> coming out. At some point, yeah. I just especially after I became a detective, I was like, you know what? I'm not wearing the vest. Fuck it, shoot me. I don't give yeah. a shit. <laughs> yeah. I don't give a fuck. I, Just kill me. If I'm at the, if I, I'm at some parade, uh, like the West Indian Day parade, fuck it, kill me. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm not wearing my. I tell you what, you wear that helmet and it's over ninety degrees, and you can almost feel like your brain is baking in that thing. It's just uh, helmet plus you guys got an even heavier vest. Yeah, you got all uh, the, there's so many other. You got the well, there's two vest. different vests now. The ESU guys have they have the real real heavy vest that they wear on barricades and uh, you know stuff like that. And for the Hercules team, though, we have something called plate carriers, which mm -hmm. are those ceramic plates. It's still heavy, but not as heavy as the the large one, and it's small, a little bit smaller, so a little streamlined. Yeah, but yeah, but the gun too is annoying because you got that rifle. Yeah. Thing. What what do you guys have? It's the M4. Okay, so it's, I know it's a version of the you know uh, of the um, I don't know M16. Yeah, it's like a commando version of the M16. So. I knew how to clean the guns I had. That was it. I wasn't a gun. <laughs> but it looks cool. And yeah. I would imagine the novelty of carrying that thing wears off in about five minutes. Because now, instead of just hanging out with your hands or looking at your phone, yep. <laughs> you got to hold on to this fucking thing all day. And you got five extra magazines fully loaded. You have the extra magazines for your handgun. You have another two extra handgun magazines on your vest because it's easier to reload from your vest than to reach under your vest to grab an extra magazine. God forbid you needed it in a, in a shootout or something like that. But uh, yeah, you are loaded down. That's for sure. Could you get like something like to, um, you know, to attach your phone to it. So at least you can look at your phone and <laughs> keep checking your phone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you guys do that. How do you go without looking at it's... your phone every two seconds when you got to well, carry that gun? The stops aren't too long, thankfully. And, and tell you what, on hot days, I would send, I would only send a certain amount of guys out and keep two guys in. I would rotate them around. I just, you know, guys will drop like flies if you don't, you know, rotate them. And those are diesel trucks that you're driving, right? Yeah, but not the Hercules. Uh, that's just a regular Big van. Ones, how, how's the yeah. AC in a diesel truck? I need to know that before I want to go to the unit. I'll tell you <laughs> what, in the front, in the cab, it's not that bad. <laughs> but everywhere else isn't that great. Do they keep? Do they keep yeah, like, Mark, that's the question you ask of the boss when he's interviewing you. How is the How is the AC yeah, in the yeah. truck? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you might not. You might not go much further than that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> every, time, 
every time you watch a, a SWAT movie, right, there's always the two guys sitting in the front, and the, there's like a whole bunch of guys sweating in the middle. <laughs> in, the, in the back? <laughs> so what you're telling me is there's no AC in the middle there? You ever see that? Every movie's got like six, eight guys on each side like this waiting. Nah. That's they don't they don't run like that anymore. No, you back. can't see what's yeah. going on. There's no windows back there. No. Like, where the fuck is this guy going? <laughs> yeah, it gets hot back there for sure. You know, talking about the, the interviews, not to ask about the AC, the AC I used to do um, the RIP interviews so for the t uh, cops trying to go into RIP. Mm -hmm. I remember I asked one officer, I said, what would you bring with you to a RIP unit? And she goes... I don't know, pencils and pens. Failed. She didn't lie. <laughs> Give me that stamp. Give me that rubber stamp. <laughs> she wasn't why lying to you. Why would she go for that interview? I remember one CEO sent his most useless cop to a RIP interview. I was so pissed. This yeah, guy well, had about three arrests. They want to get. I, I I looked at his his uh record, his curriculum vitae, and I said, "What are you doing here? <laughs> How did he's you trying, get a rip interview?" He's his, trying to dump he, him. His commanding officer really would really be you know like a wise ass sending yeah. his most useless guy to a rip interview. Sergeant Melinda, thank you so much for that ninety nine ninety nine oh, super man. chat. You're keeping us it's in so business great. here. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You know, we're seeing the good Bill right now, but I, I actually had a chance to see Bill in, in action, you know, as a detective in the squad. And you just, you have to see this guy roll through, man. I was, I would just go, I would hide. I would like, I, <laughs> why was he a hot ass? Was, was yeah. he a hot Oh my God, he'd come in the door, his coat is swinging everywhere. He had his hat on, he was bossing people around. I was like, oh, I, don't wanna, <laughs> I gotta stay out of this guy's way, man. It was scary, man. It really was scary. Yeah. Was like, and then you retire and you get to find your, your smile again. <laughs> well, well, you know, something 27 years for me was enough, you know? Yeah, I would I say. When I, when, I, when I retired, I got, I, I got, I was writing for this magazine. I talked them into giving me a podcast. And I was like, you know, it would be great. Because, like, I wasn't, like, a superstar or anything. But if I got a superstar with me, then it would be <laughs> legit. And that's there what happened. Go. I got Bill. So the, the <laughs> I'm flattered, Mark. <laughs> now, now the show's legit. <laughs> Anthony, I know you had an unbelievable story uh, to tell for 9-11. And a lot of people oh, that are watching this right now were coming up on the 20-year anniversary, and they would love, yeah. to love to hear your story of what happened to you on 9-11. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, 9-11 was the first year where Special Operations Division wasn't exempt from doing election duty, the first and only year that they weren't. So they decided to take uh, harbor guys, pilots, uh, ESU guys, and put them on election polls. That's, now, brilliant. That's brilliant, right? Yeah, That's brilliant. I don't, I don't know who came up with this idea, but they it almost wound up biting them in the end. But so anyway, yeah, well, I didn't want to say that, but you're right. <laughs> I'm a so, so there I am at election duty, and the first plane hits. And everybody thought it was a big accident. But then when that second one hits, that's it. You know, they rolled the TV into the cafeteria where I was watching the election polls. And I, I called the 6-2 precinct. I says, uh, I'm leaving. They're calling for every ESU guy to head to Manhattan. I said, I'm out of here. And I was wearing a regular patrol uniform, right. not my ESU uniform. 
So what I left. You, you just ripped that off, and there was an S underneath. <laughs> yeah, 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 something. ESS. Yes, uh, Bill. Let's uh, not be ridiculous. It was a phone booth. Come on. Yeah, the Where's the school phone booth? I need to change. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Where's well, I changed. I put on my ESU uh, uniform real quick at Truck Six, and and four of us jumped in a car and and went right over there. And before any of the towers collapsed. And we got to uh, um, the mobilization point, one of the mobilization points for ESU. We get all our rescue gear on, ropes, saws. We're getting ready to – we were parked right on Weston Vesey. We're getting ready to go right into the tower. And Sergeant Sullivan from Truck 6, Tommy Sullivan, he doesn't get enough credit for this. He went, hold on, guys. We're getting reports of shots fired. And we did. We heard shots being fired. We're like, what, what the hell is that? You know, we didn't think any – we thought it was maybe popping from the fire. We weren't sure what it was. But they were getting 911 calls, and we heard it. And uh, we had reports that terrorists were shooting people as they were evacuating out of the building. So Sergeant Sullivan turns around. He goes, hold on. He goes, take off your rescue gear. Grab some guns. And I want you guys to go tactical and go over to the towers and, you know, do force protection and, you know, see what's going on. We thought he was absolutely out of his mind. Really, like, this is like the biggest rescue ever in the world, and I'm, I'm going to grab a machine gun. Well, that five minutes it took to take all that stuff off and put on our vest and helmet, grab machine guns, we start walking towards the building. We're right on the corner. So I walk towards the building, and all of a sudden it sounds like friggin' freight train is coming down on us. It looked like a piece fell off of one of the towers. And I look up, I was like, what the hell is that? So I knew something was coming down on us, and I just went to the side of the big truck, the big rescue truck, figuring that that would provide some protection from all the crap coming my way and i saw a 13th precinct cop like right next to me he's running in circles because on that corner there was nothing there at the time and he's running in circles and he didn't know where to go so i just grab him and i yank him to the to the truck with me and then it just goes boom, dark instant darkness and i want to say it was dark i mean pure darkness for about five minutes he st I started running out of air i, I just couldn't breathe anymore just, you know first of all i thought i was dead i mean it was silence, dead silence. So I took my vest and I threw it up over my face. And I, I couldn't find, and I was breathing in there and I felt like I was running out of air in there. So finally I go, oh my God, I, I gotta walk away from this truck. I, gotta, I can't see anything, you know, literally uh, complete blackness. So I walk away from the truck, maybe about five feet. And I turn around to go back to the truck, it's gone. I have no idea where it is. I'm standing in the middle of the corner. I, I have no idea where to go. I'm out of air. I'm dropped down to my knees, but it, now it's not dark. It's starting to get white out, and uh, I'm I'm on my knees. I I have no more air left. I'm I'm like this is it. And uh, an old partner of mine, Tommy Gillen, sees me on the floor, and he had a Scott air pack with the mask on him because he was set up to do rescue, and runs over to me and throws that mask on my face. I got to tell you, it was like the best air you've ever taken in in your entire life. Wow. And I. And I took a couple of breaths, and he led me over to the corner, and it started getting lighter out and lighter. I never found that 13th precinct cop that I grabbed, but uh, there are pictures of me getting uh, uh, treated by EMS right on the corner. They came running over and put water on me and stuff. Another ironic story is there's a photographer on Anthony, the corner. Anthony, can I just stop you for one second? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. So inadvertently, that sergeant's decision saved your life because not had he not told you to do that, you would have been in the building. That's right. Not only my life, all the ESU trucks that didn't lose any people, truck five, truck six, truck nine, and I believe it was the 18. 
all those trucks, that was the corner we were on. He saved about 20 of us, 20 lives, and he gets absolutely no credit for it. And it drives me crazy because his decision that day saved all of us. There's no question about it. That five you know, minutes. You know, Anthony, I was, I was driving down there, and my story isn't as dramatic as yours, but mm-hmm. it's similar in a way. We were driving down the FDR Drive, and one of my detectives said to me, Detective Billy Hicks says, Sarge, let's just park at Pike and South, and we'll walk to the towers. And I said, good idea, Billy, because, you know, <laughs> it'll be so crowded down there. So we did that. As we got out of our car and started walking towards the second building came down. And I was like, look yeah. at that. Had we driven right to the towers, we may have gotten killed. It's crazy. But I wanted to tell you this other ironic part was this this photographer on the corner was screaming at him to get to get out of there, to get out of there. Well, it winds up, we evacuate a half a block towards the water, and the second building comes down. And that photographer was killed because wow. he didn't listen to us. Wait, they find his body a month later. And on his body is the camera hanging around his neck, and they they uh, developed the film, and on the camera are pictures of us, me being treated. It was in a magazine. Wow, me being how, treated. how creepy is that, huh? Really, and his wife is holding the. It's, it was in Newsweek magazine. It's holding the camera, you know, that they took off his body, and it was pictures of us on the corner being wow. treated. It you was know, just, uh, uh, Anthony. I just want to mention Skitch Henderson. When I first yeah, saw Sergeant Lisi, I couldn't believe he survived. So he obviously was with you that day. Yeah. Richie, Florian Bartolo says, wow. Eric Storch, God bless him. 12-step woman. Yes, ma'am, Michelle Pranzo. Retired Sergeant Melinda, I pray that you talk to someone professionally because PTSD is real. I can hear the anxiety in your voice. We all have it. We all admit it, right? And, and you know what the big thing about PTSD is? While you're active, it really isn't, it isn't visible. It's when you retire and your whole life slows down and your brain starts to compute all the things that you did in your career and you're like, and that's when it really hits you is after you retire. Really, guys, when you're active and you're working, nobody thinks about that. And besides, you have other cops to talk about, uh, to talk right. to about it. But then when you leave that life, no one on this side of the life really understands those kind of things. And that's where you could fall into that PTSD. It is a real thing. That's for sure. No, 100 percent. We, you know, we talk about it quite openly on this show. And I don't know if you know the great Dr. Watkill, who's from Staten Island. He's oh, yeah, a okay. suicide prevention doctor, and we talk about it all the time when him and EC agrees. He says, you know, you, you, as long as you're aware of it and talk you about it. You have to recognize it. Yeah, you have to recognize yeah. it. Oh, you know, one of our, our listeners asked, um, did you know a lot of the ESU cops that died? That I knew day? I knew them all. I knew them all. I worked with all of them. I was in the third squad at the time, which was uh, everybody in the third squad around the entire city in ESU works either the day tour together or the 4-12, so – we would fly to other trucks if they were short, and I worked with all these guys. And I tell you, when I say the best emergency cops that we had, all of them, all 14 of them, the best we had, you know, and we all said to each other, if anybody was going to survive and then be able to get themselves out, it was those 14 guys, that's for sure. They were the, right. they were the best we had, no question. You know, it's, it's freaky because, you know, we're coming up on the 20-year anniversary. Yeah, And I mean, see, people could say, oh, it seemed like yesterday. It doesn't seem like yesterday to me. It seems like it was a long time ago, but yet the memories are extremely vivid. You never forget that World Trade Center smell. You know, Mm -hmm. I and Mark and Mark worked at the Bereavement Center. I know I I went I was there, but not a lot. I went to the morgue, you know, and some of the things I saw during 9-11 and I was in homicide. I never saw uh, bodies in that condition ever. 
during my police career. That was shocking even to me, someone who was in homicide, you know, to see that. Well, we found Detective, my team uh, in the middle of the night found Detective Claude Richards from the bomb squad. And that was, uh, you know, that was amazing. I don't want to say too much about that. I don't, you know, family members on here or whatever, but I tell you, that was, that was an experience. That really was, you know, seeing one of your fellow, you know, a fellow cop, you know, and, and with his jumpsuit on from the bomb squad still, it, it, it would, you know, it'll take you back. It'll definitely, yeah. I remember every second of it. You know, I remember there was, uh, what we did was there was a, uh, what are they called? The meat wagon, right? Mm. And it's parked in front of um, the medical examiner's office. And we would like, we formed like a chain of evidence all these detectives and they would use a body bag now most people might not know this but a body bag is like seven feet long and they would use a, a complete body bag for every body part or what they thought was a human body part even if it was an animal they would they would put it whatever body part they found when they were digging through the rubble they would put it in and they would use one whole thing so a lot of times you was you would you would go collect it off off the that truck that and then he would bring it inside and he would stand there while they figure out is it a human body part then he bring yeah. it to the next station and it's like a chain of evidence you just but a lot of times it was just like they would pull out a piece of skin well it's funny you should say that because like one of the first days right after 9 11 you know everybody's eager to get in there and start digging and me and a couple of guys start digging and we find uh, a female uh, she's she was about five feet down but under a piece a giant eye beam and everything was gone except for maybe you know from here up so while we're cutting her out she's literally staring at you you're in a hole and she's looking at you you know it's it's very eerie but wow. you know we wanted to get her body out of there to give back to the family but it took us like five hours to cut a piece of i-beam like this had to weigh 500 pounds easily to cut a piece of i-beam out but after that we were told you know leave the bodies in place we'll mock them and then we'll come back for them, we're trying to find people who are alive, obviously, and it's it was a good decision because you are looking for people who are still alive. But you well, know. you know, Anthony, a lot of people don't realize also that when you know when they declare it a recovery as compared to it being a rescue, if it's still a recovery, they can't in mass pull out heavy steel because the steel mm -hmm. shifts, and that in itself could kill survivors. Sure, so and you know, it's a very different thing the way that they. Um, do something of recovery as compared to uh, a rescue. Yeah, well, you want to have your manpower looking for people who are alive, obviously. I mean, if you find a body, the best thing to do is to mark it and move on. But we were so embedded, like, you know, we found somebody and we dug and dug and cut her out. And, you know, after that, you're dripping with sweat and it's like, all right, don't do that, you know, don't do that no more because we have to dig for people who might still be you know, a lot. Right. And, and it was the right decision, but we were so embedded emotionally to getting her out, you know. You know, they had some, uh, a couple of guys there that were like mountain climbers. And I had heard this story that they actually repelled down into the World Trade Center. Yes, I've seen by it. By yeah. ropes. And they actually saw full rooms intact, like voids yeah. that had yeah. survived falling all those, you know, 110 stories. And the rooms were mm -hmm. perfectly intact, but yet there was no survivors. Yeah, I was underneath, you know, I was underneath the Trade Center. That, that was still intact under there, a lot of spots. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a crazy day. And then I was there till, oh, I want to say March, you know. I did about oh, a little over 500 hours over there. Wow. Do you have yeah. uh, residual health problems from 9-11? Uh, yeah. 
yeah, I have a bunch of issues. I take a handful of medicine every day, you know, yeah. just my lungs, uh, my esophagus, everything. Cause you know, I was breathing in darkness. I was sucking all that stuff in. And you know, the funny thing is what happened to me, they said was going to happen. They, we sat in a big auditorium that night and they go, listen, your lungs are impacted with crap. You're going to get sick. You're going to get a fever. You're going to get pneumonia. So make sure if you start to feel sick, you let us know. But nobody, no ESU cop wanted to say I was sick. You wanted to be there. So I went home, and the second night, I was coughing so hard. I was throwing up. That's how hard I was coughing. So yeah. I, called the, I called the ESU desk, and I'm like, listen, I just need lost time in the morning. I just give me – I can't get my head off the pillow. Give me like five hours. So there was an ESU captain there, and he gets on the phone. He goes, go to the hospital right now. I said, boss, I don't want to go to the hospital. I want to come to work tomorrow. I just need a little extra time. I cannot move. Just give yeah. me like in a couple extra hours. He's like, you don't go to the hospital. I'm going to send two trucks over to your house and they're going to drag you to the hospital. Get up. And I went to the, I was like, all right, no need. I'll, I'll go. And I went to the hospital and I was out for like three, four days. But wow. I, that was the worst time of my life being home by myself for three days and not but you know what it was? It's like you're living on adrenaline and you have that exhaustion, yeah. yet you're being driven by a sense of duty. Yeah, I, I lost 15 pounds in like a week and a half. In a, in a week and a half, because oh. you weren't eating. You weren't allowed to eat on the pile because all debris and crap in the air. So they would like hand you one Twinkie in the plastic. And that was your, your three square meals for the day <laughs> at the time. And you were working so hard, you know, that you, I yeah. lost all that weight. Yeah, it was really, you know, there was some, as horrible as all the people we lost and as horrible as that day was, there were some good things about it. You know, the the, the the way the city pulled together, the unity of everybody, but it didn't last long, you know, it didn't yeah. last long, unfortunately. It, and, you know, and funny thing is about guys who've been around a while is, you know, you see them cheering for us on the corner and it was great. It's like, look at this. But within a couple of months, you were driving by and they were giving you the finger again. Right. No, it was like, it was, yes, they were waving. They were waving with just one finger. <laughs> all of a sudden, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like just took a few months. That's all it took. Yeah, you know, it's a thing but, about being tough. It's a tough city. So when yeah. you're in a tough city, you don't take anything in that yeah. that much. But when you do that, when you don't take it in that much, you also you don't remember that much. That's the thing with emotions, though. Too, you know, you you shut everything out when you're a cop. Everything, emotions. You just you shut it out of your life. You, you put it in a compartment in your head. I'm the sorry? city, the city. It's a tough city. It's resilient. They yes, want to yeah. fight back and bounce back so bad. You didn't get us. You didn't get us. But at the same time, the memory fades away too because you're tough. You want to move forward. You don't remember. So, you know that's why so quickly they they went from. Uh, you know, you know, buying you a cup of coffee to, uh, yeah, fuck you again. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because yeah, we're a tough city, so yeah. Yeah, but they, we're, we're they, back. they were cheer, they were cheering us one day, and then the other yeah, they were but, giving us the finger. You yeah, know, so whenever you can say, "Hey, fuck you" to a cop, that means we're back. You know, we're, <laughs> we're back the way we used to be. You know? Yeah, I guess. Hey, I guess you're right. Back. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's a tough city, man. <laughs> And to answer that person's question, I saw on the side, yes, I worked with Paul Pericone, and uh, and then he went to the bomb squad. Great, great emergency cop, great bomb squad guy. Fantastic. You know, it, it, ESU has sort of a esprit de corps that a lot of units on the police department, like street crime, had that. Mm -hmm. Precinct anti-crime units. Of course, ESU, the units that faced a lot of danger 
and were proactively out there. You definitely had that esprit de corps and being, you know, proud to be in that unit, you know. Well, day day in, day out when you risk your life with your fellow cops, you know, it, it's a bonding thing. You know, you trust each other. If I go right, I know my the guy behind me's got left. You know what I mean? Somebody's watching your back all the time. And you get really close. I mean, you know, we've gone on vacations together. You go to picnics. You do all these things together because you truly trust each other. Oh, I, know? I can imagine you guys going on uh, vacation oh. together. Hearst tool. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Would, yeah, we're always Scott we're always ready. Pack. Yeah. <laughs> Got extra things, extra knives in your pockets just in case, you know. <laughs> you have all the equipment going. Yeah, you have to have everything. Yeah, we've got the M4. I, I oh, you should so see what you should see my truck. I have so much crap in there that I, I I've never used, but you know, just in case, I might need it. You know. Your personal truck? Yeah, my personal truck. You know, you're so buff. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm not going go to the garage. You got to take it apart every day and put it back in. You know what it is? I'm one of those guys that I grab something. And I go, you know, I might need this one day. And I stuff it in the corner of my truck. <laughs> Bill, he's got ladders in his truck. I got everything. A hearse probably got a fire extinguisher. You know, help it. Yeah. Oh, I do. I got all I, You name it. I'm ready. And I, ready I know I'll respond to the next attack. I, yeah, I know I'll never use it. I, I it's just in my head. I'm like, well, you never know, you and never I throw know. it in there. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's I drive. I've always been. I don't even have a spare in my car. That's how I drive. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember emergency yeah. cops. They they pack thing. We we all had our own personal gear. So you have your own. You have two vests, scuba gear, you know, hazmat masks, all that shit. You had to load onto the truck every single day. And then, you you know, in your water rescue bag with your scuba stuff, you're like, you know what? I should put a dry shirt in there. If I come out of the water and my shirt got a little wet from the dry suit, I'll have another shirt. I'll, I'll, I should throw a towel in there in case I'm really wet. And it just goes on and on until your bags are so big. So, that, you know, forget it. Since I'm in the water anyway, why not take a bath? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll throw a bar of soap in there. You know why not? You know, Anthony, I wanted to just pull up this great picture of you, <laughs> and uh, you were in Australia, and you were teaching yeah. the Australian police some uh, tactical things, right? Yeah, we were doing uh, we were doing some tactical stuff, active shooter stuff, and uh, I was also showing them how we do jumper jobs because uh, these guys over there do it, and uh, that's Marcus, a good friend of mine. He came over here and. Uh, we climbed the Verrazano Bridge together, and I went over there. The police department actually sent me, which was very surprising. And they sent me over there, and it was a great time. It was really fantastic. You know, yeah, great. That, there's, there's a lot of active shooting going on right now, man. Like, yeah. What's going on? What is your opinion on this? Do you think there's, well, like, like uh, Manchurian candidates are just waking waking them up? They, they've been uh, mentally treated over the Internet? No, I just think there's a lot – I think there's a lot of mentally ill people out there that they don't think like you and I, if they have a problem, they just, they, you know, they just want to go solve it and they take a gun and they have a problem with somebody. I, you know, they, a lot of these guys, people who do these things don't have a lot going on in their lives. So, yeah, I know. I, I, that's what you know. I find it ironic. And I, I think to myself, you know what, it's too much of a coincidence that these people mm -hmm. like in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. And all of a sudden they, yep. I have a feeling like they're going down a rabbit hole. And well, what do they have? They have in common. They all have nothing to lose. Yeah, somebody's messing yeah. with their brain, and whenever they need an active shooter, they just shoot. They just send them out. They trigger them. They go ah, yeah. do, 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 and then and this is the way we're going to fight the Second Amendment. That's my theory. I'm crazy, but you know what? It's it's amazing though. A lot of these private uh, companies out there and everything they they don't think about 
security. Security isn't a big thing to them, you know, and it's just not, you know, well, they don't do any training, even an hour's worth of training on what to do in case of an active shooter could save a lot of people's lives. We're talking about an hour, you know, of, of training for regular civilians on what to do if somebody came in shooting. Well, you know, Anthony, you, know? You're, you definitely think that way. You think tactics, you think all of that stuff. We had Michael Cilio on, who was a pilot for uh, aviation. And oh, okay. he had mentioned that after he, he won a Medal of Valor winner for a great rescue up at West Point of three cadets. But he mentioned oh, yeah, how yeah, yeah. he went to um, uh, work Two ESU a, guys rappelled off the helicopter on that one. And got yeah, you had to get ESU in there. Well, listen, they didn't land the helicopter and pull them on board. <laughs> no, that's, no, that, was, that was an amazing rescue. Yeah, but they did a, That was all a great know, job. Yeah. Was, I wanted to get to is that when he retired, he said he worked for a little bit for some of these helicopter tour companies. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. They did not maintain their helicopters well enough. Yeah. So he quit. He was like, I'm not flying these helicopters. Yeah. You know, because the police department has that scheduled maintenance. You fly so many hours, the copter gets yeah. put out of business for yeah. you know, X amount, right? Yeah, they break they, you go into the hangar and they always have a helicopter broken down. You know, they, they take everything off, they clean it. They they're very, very safe. Yeah. Absolutely. The private sector, though, I don't think uh, you know, has that kind of uh that kind of stuff, right? Again, yeah. someone asked for the uh, the address for the, I can't even see it right now, to order those sweatshirts. www.shopdiamondbacknewyork.com, LTD Memorial slash shop slash home. Or you can you can call that phone number and order it over that phone number. Get your uh, get the same sweatshirt I'm wearing. All the money is donated to either Brian Simonson Foundation the DEA Widows and Orphans Fund, or Blue Lives Matter Canine. And yeah, or you could have well. The new sweatshirts are the gray ones that you see right here. Bill, they could visit our uh, Facebook page too, uh, Police Off the Cuff Facebook, um, and it's on there. This flyer that you're looking at right now is on there. Right, I posted it on there. Yeah, and it's also on our uh, Police Off the Cuff uh, Instagram as well. So if you want the address, just visit that. I'm gonna get one too. I love it, man. I can't wait to wear it, man. It looks you look sharp, Bill. Hey, thanks, man. I'm gonna wear it. Really nice. I have another show tonight at nine o'clock with Ed Mullins. To the point with Ed Mullins, and we're actually interviewing the head of the FOP for Chicago. Think about being in Chicago right now. You know, this is what policing is getting down to. Subject is refusing to comply. We need the mayor, council members, or any other known know-it-all. Politician to respond. <laughs> what are they going to talk about at nine o'clock? Who has it worse? <laughs> no, I mean, just talking about all these changes yeah. that are impacting police nationally. That are old, it is horrible, right? I feel yeah, so yeah. bad for these guys still on the job. I really do. I just I feel terrible for them. It's well, just an the, awful way to work. Look at the NYPD. They have a police exam that you normally you pay, I don't know, uh, 75 bucks to take the exam at least. Mm -hmm. Now it's free. And they've extended the deadline. And uh, they put that poor chief on there. Um, uh, what, what, Bill, what's her name? Yolanda? Um, oh, I know who you're talking The chief of patrol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, she's up there selling the job. But the truth is, it's like, I mean, that you should fail the psychological right <laughs> up front. Wait a minute. It's true. You want to <laughs> right now? Yeah, have you watched the news lately? There you go, like <laughs> fail, psychological fail. Yeah, like, you got a mental yeah. patient wants to take the job right now. 
You know what I'm saying? Well, it's one chief of patrol, Juanita Holmes. Yeah. Uh, uh, nobody's got your back. Um, but the yeah. good thing is, you know, I'm watching Curtis Sliwa do his thing. I, I see his videos that he's posting. He's all over the city right now. So hopefully that's, you know, for me, that's my candidate. You know, I'm hoping that he wins the mayor. I mean, honestly, even with, you know, video of the cop doing the right thing, they're still oh, going after him. Oh. I just, I can't even, and everybody thought wearing a body camera was getting, you know, going to save everybody's butt. But, you know, look at that knife attack. What was that, Ohio, I believe? No, it's, it just goes to show you, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You know what I'm saying? Even the chief of police over there, God bless her, man. She said the right thing. She goes, that he, I don't know if she was from that particular place, but there was a, a chief of police somewhere says, no, they're following that. That's police guidelines right there. That's what you're supposed mm -hmm. to do. You know what I'm saying? It's just the whole thing is just absurd right now. It is. But that's why we're doing what we're doing right now. We're trying to get, I, you know, Bill and I are I, trying to get the word out. We're trying to yep. uh, show, you know, uh, police in a, in, in a positive light. We're bringing on great guests such as yourself. Thank People you. that have been there through 9-11, through rescues, uh, Hurricane Sandy. And uh, you're still here standing, man. God bless you. Yeah, you know, Thank Anthony, you. it's Thank like you. Star Appreciate Wars. You know how in Star Wars they say, they used to be heroes back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I remember, <laughs> yeah. introducing yeah. some of the old heroes to the cops. That well, was like, wow, did you see I got news cops? for you. The guys now are heroes, too. They're doing no, a great they job. Are, they, I'm they, they, no, I'm not correcting you. I just mean they're yeah. doing a great job also. Yeah. And you know what? Years from now, they'll be the heroes, you know, <laughs> also. Yeah, I, I mentioned this. Everybody's got their time. I, I say uh, when I came on the job, uh, you know, I, I joked that I got a 700 combined on my SAT. That's why I, that's all I had left. Signing your name, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, my point is this: like a lot of the the most everybody that that goes on the police department now, you need at least 60 credits to get on, and most a lot of them actually have the four year degree. So when you're standing this, you know, yelling at somebody's face, spitting on them, wishing their family dead, you, you're doing that to a college graduate. <laughs> yeah, know? but just but what, are, what are they missing, though, Mark? If Being a college graduate, a lot of them don't have any street smarts, which is well, like 80% of what you need to be a cop, really. The funny thing <laughs> you know? is they came on the job because they were gonna a lot of them, they were going to show you the difference between the way we're going to do it and the way you guys did it. And then they realized, oh, this is all we got. We're, yeah. this, these are my brothers and sisters right here. Those yeah. They don't care that I won Cop of the Month last month. You know, they're coming in from another state right now to abuse me. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, you know, they you learn real quick. You get hit with a, in, in the head with a, a brick a couple of times, and then you learn. This is <laughs> my family right here. Yep. You know, And family. that's what they created. That's what they created. And it, God bless them. Because uh, look at the uh, the line of people that uh, – uh, was it you, Bill, that posted that thing about the, the retirement right now? Yeah, they, they're up like 75% uh, retirements from last year. Sergeant, yeah, Sergeant Joe Jackalone posted a nice thing on Instagram, uh, and it's basically been about the rush to get to the pension section. You know what I'm saying? If you're, <laughs> yeah, he said there's a conga line dancing. Conga to the line, yeah, yeah. There's a conga line dancing to get to the pension section. I heard they can't get people to take the test. I heard like one third of the people usually would sign up for a police test are taken. Like they can't. That's why they're recruiting so hard. They can't get people. Well, to take yeah, the they, police they test. wave the they wave the fee. That's you know that's money that the city makes, and you got people hiring. Nobody's coming on, you know, because out of yeah. the candidates that actually apply, some of them are, you know you can't take. 
Yeah. Scotty, Scotty Wagner said his son just filed. He said they can't get 6,000 people to take the test. Oh, there you go. Yeah. They used to get like 50,000 or yeah. more. Yeah. And it costs money. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you used to have to go to Madison. I think I went. I think I took my test in Madison Square Garden. Oh, did you? Wow. Like where, where did we go to take the test back then? These were at schools and stuff. They had all these public yeah, schools, yeah. right? Crazy. It, it's just nutty, you know. Yeah. Well, what do they expect when they they talk bad about cops all the time? They they lose. We lose all our power, and then you want people to take the job. I mean, they're constantly writing laws now against us. I mean. And then they want us to clean up the streets. And Anthony, <laughs> the city councils, they're not done. They're I not know. done. Yeah, yeah. So I know. Right pretty much done because you know what? At some point, you're going to get to it, like that, that breaking point that we always talk about on this show. And I think, yeah, but Mark, I think, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, I think no. that's how they, I think that's how they're defunding the police. They're not, they, they don't plan on taking the money away. That's too obvious. They make the job terrible. They write laws where nobody wants to become a cop and through attrition, you won't have a police force or you'll have such a minuscule police force that it won't matter to anybody. So they're defunding the police, not by just yanking the money away because people go in an uproar, but if you make it so terrible that nobody wants to do the job, mm -hmm. you're defunding the police just so you're also, you know, you're, in another way. You're tapping into the people that, that can afford to get their own private security. And True. they're already putting yeah. the congestion pricing in New York. They're, they're, they're going to block people out from coming in there. People, those people are going to get community uh, uh, century uh, armored gu armed guards to walk around and patrol their neighborhoods. Yeah. And the only people that are going to have to use the NYPD are going to be the people that, uh, you know, hate them and don't want them there. Yeah, but you know something, Mark? There was, there was 26 shootings last weekend. I know. I think 15 or 16 on Saturday. Yeah. So if that's a precursor of what's going to happen this summer, Oof. they're going to chase the Blasio out Oof. of this town. You know? mm. Yeah, well, well, we need the people who love the police to speak up louder than the people because the people who hate the police, it's not it's not, it's actually not a big number. The right. people who want the police and love us, they just need to be louder. But, you know, they don't want to be because you don't want these people marching on your house. I completely understand it. But once those people rise up and go, hold on. You're not taking away the police force. The You're crazy. That are, that are involved in making the laws. They don't drive to work. They have a exactly. Yeah. They don't deal with the regular. Right. Um, mass transit or walking around the city. Every time they go out of their office, there's a car waiting for them. Then they take that car to somewhere. They're all full of shit. So they don't know what it's like to be a uh, agreed deal with uh, the transit system. Just walking in the street at, at night. No. So anywho, yeah, you're right. we're, we're at eight oh six. I know Bill's got to go. He's got to uh, another show to do. And uh, I think we did a great job tonight. Did I mention how happy I was and how thankful I was to uh, everybody that came out to uh, to support me for my comedy album recording? Thank you so much. And Bill, you got any parting words? Yeah, I just uh, I want to really thank Anthony. I thought he was a great guest. And yeah, just so you. you guys know, <clears throat> Anthony is cousins with uh, Joe Lisi, who owns Bordeaux. And we're really going to plug this thing on uh, Tuesday May 18th. We'd love everyone to come out to this thing. Hey, we'll, get, we'll get the CEO of Midtown South to get us parking on that street. <laughs> he doesn't know about it yet, but we'll ask him, you know, and we'll pull all the cars. We'll get the ESU trucks there. We'll do an ESU show. <laughs> They'll come Are out. You gonna come? Are you going to come? Yeah, I'm looking to come out there. Absolutely. We'll have a bench press contest. 
Yeah, we'll get, we'll get Walter Wazalewski buffing out. He'll be telling war stories. Yeah, yeah, you need guys in their late 40s, early 50s to lift weights and crack yeah. bones and pull yeah, shoulders. I'm going to hump up before I go there so people say, wow, Mark and Joe are huge. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, uh, I'm 53. How old are you? I'm 47. Okay, so I get like a six-year. So let's just say for argument's sake, if you could do 315 on the bench, I just got to do two and a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that, like 245. Yeah, that's that's like, about right. Yeah. 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 You know, it's a six year difference. You'd be, you'd be surprised how much it's to stop. Oh, I understand. Believe me. <laughs> oh, that's for sure, yeah. man. I'll, oh, man. I'll, I'll, I'll attest to that. I can't even yeah. lift anything anymore. You put two you put two plates on the bench right now. I'm screaming like oh, you can hear me all around. Ah! <laughs> no, two Mark, plates I take food. a glass of Cabernet and I I scream as my shoulder hurts as I bend it. <laughs> I, was yeah. big, I was big like you. I used to do 315, 10 reps. Bang, bang, bang. I used yep. to love putting 315 on the bench because it would fuck everybody up. And then when you could do 10 reps out of it, people in the gym would just stop and stare. Bang, bang, three fifteen. And then you got to get up from the bench and look around, and see who's watching. Yeah. <laughs> hey, who was the guy in ESU? He had blonde hair. He had the sickest arms I've ever seen. Oh, um, uh, Billy, um, Billy Fisher. Yeah, Billy, yeah, yeah, uh, Fisher. Guy, yeah, I know. <laughs> he got, but he got sick from nine eleven, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. He he's oh. sick. All, he's sick from nine eleven stuff. What a so. shame! And that guy was a monster. Yeah, when he got monster. Out of that truck. I was like, oh, I was even scared. That was the police. He was the <laughs> he was the guy who spoke to the jumper who was deaf and he knew sign language. Who would That's think? Right. You know, watching those giant arms fly around with doing sign language. Yeah. You know. Yep. Probably didn't even understand what he was saying. He's like, "This guy's big. I'm just going to come in." You know. <laughs> yeah, what a beautiful story! Like that guy, like yeah. a guy like that new sign language. Yeah, oh, it was fantastic. Listen, we really do have to say good night, Anthony. Yep. We want to thank you so much for coming thank on. You. Thank you for having I mean, me. Maybe we'll have you come back after, but definitely you got to show up at your uncle's. I mean, your cousin's place, yes, Bordeaux, yes. and uh, hopefully we'll come see a lot of you folks there too. Any parting words, Mark? No, no, no. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was a pleasure. You were great, by the way. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Thank you for having me, both of these. I really appreciate it. Anytime, man. You're always welcome on. Thank you.